Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo, how's everybody doing this morning? Awesome, glad you are here. Thanks for being with us. Hope you're doing well. My name is Mark. My wife and I serve uh, as the lead pastors here. We appreciate you joining us in person or online. It is a good day to worship together. Amen? Uh, it's still winter outside. Whose fault is that? Who needs to repent? Um, whoever's praying for snow, stop it. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a good day. It's a good time to be together. Uh, we got a lot to cover this morning, much to, much to do. Um, I'm excited. We are, we are in a series through the Gospel of John, as you can probably figure out from that video. I've uh, been here for a while. We've, we finally made our way to John chapter 17, uh, starting this year. Um, and uh, I'm excited about all that the Lord has for us. Uh, we call this, called this series that you may believe, uh, I say we called it that, we stole that line out of the Gospel of John, uh, because that's the reason that John, the, the author of this book, claims that he wrote this, the, the, the purpose for which he wrote this book, that we might come to believe, that we might come to, 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 uh, to embrace and entrust the reality of who Jesus is. And this morning, I want to address uh, the, sort of a question that comes up in our text, and that is, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? Much of the church, if you've hung around Christians or the church much, you know that, that Christians can kind of be obsessed with this. If you're in, ever hung around in certain uh, tribes, brands, types of churches, it's all they seem to want to talk about. Hello, somebody. Getting people eternal life, brother. Funny that, 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 that uh, this seems to be uh, a, a problem across Christianity. Let's talk about our team for a minute. Can we do that? Can we do that? Can we do that? Let's be honest. We like to use words that we never define. We, we, love, we love as a community, we love as a people, we love as a type of people to, to just throw out words and use words that we, we really have no idea what they mean. And I think I figured out why we like to do this. Because if we don't know what they mean, come on somebody, we're not held accountable for them. I just, I just don't even know what that means. Exactly. Well, today, you're, we're not going to be able to hide behind that. We're going to try to answer the question, what is eternal life? Sound good to anybody else? Let's go to the Word. Um, let's go to John chapter 17, verse 1. We read out of the ESV around here, so if you've got a, a, a smart Bible on your phone, you want to switch to that version, it might be a little bit easier. If not, you can just follow along with the Sky Bible. Um, and uh, I love everyone who brought a real Bible more. So let's go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm kidding. Sort of. John chapter 17. Uh, we're going to just read verses 1 through 5 again today. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life. Everybody say eternal life. To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this 
is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you, have, that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Church, let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Come on, church, we thank you for your word. Can you just thank Jesus for the word real fast, just with your own words? Just thank you, Jesus. Praise God for the word of God. Lord, we thank you for it. We don't, we don't worship the word. We worship the God of the word. And we thank you, God, that you gave us your word, that we might come to know you, that through it we might hear the whisper in the midst of the word, that we might come to know the sweet whisper of your voice, that we might, that we might come to, to understand the rhythm of your heart, what drives you, what motivates you, that we might come to, 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 to the place where we can, can grasp the fullest extent of our human abilities, your, your nature, your character. Lord, in coming to your word today, we do not seek to grow in our understanding of a book, but rather to come to encounter and know the author of that book, to know you, Lord, to encounter you. So we ask, Lord, that you give us ears to hear hearts to receive, eyes to see you in the midst of your word. That in seeing you, that in beholding you, we might become like you. That we might fulfill that which you said you created us for, to image forth your nature, your character, your glory, your ways. In our every breath, in our every step, in our coming and our going, not just as we gather as a people, but as we go as individual people, we would carry that image, fill the earth with it, that all might come to know just how good you are. For your glory and the good of all people, we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. Greet somebody around you real fast and then grab a seat. Amen, amen, amen. Howdy. Good day to be in the house. Thanks for being with us. Um, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, I um, want to title today's message, Welcome to Eternal Life. Welcome to Eternal Life. Um, again, I want, I want to kind of focus primarily this morning on verse, on verse 3. You can probably figure that out. Again, because I, I want to try to help us uh, sort of wrestle with and, and, and answer this, uh, this question of what is eternal life. And if I'm going to be honest, I want to help hopefully correct some of the, the common misconceptions and misunderstandings as it relates to 
this concept of eternal life. So, so let's just look one more time at verse three, just to kind of hear this and kind of frame it. I'll make a few comments real fast uh, textually, and then we'll move on to, to the content. Uh, Jesus here, uh, and this is eternal life. So isn't it nice that we have an open book test this morning? We ask a question, what is eternal life? And then Jesus says, this is eternal life. We're like, thanks, that's helpful. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, so real fast, I want to just, just because uh, we live in an age where uh, lots of, of, of information is available and lots of, come on, come on, come on, back me up, a lot of skeptics like to make use of said information sharing. Anybody, anybody notice this? I was having a conversation with somebody last night where we talked about the fact that isn't it interesting that negative comments, negative content gets reacted to and posted and shared more than positive stuff. Like if you want to be, I've been told, I was actually having a, conversation, a different conversation this week with, with a friend who's, whose whole ministry is, is online. It's, it's an online ministry. He's, he's moving into that as a missionary to try to reach people, has a million followers on twitchy, talky, zippy, th- I don't even know what, because I'm too old for social media. Uh, but he's, he's got that stuff. And, uh, and, and, and he was saying it's one of the most difficult parts of what, what he does is that, that if you post a reasonable, intelligent, and uh, well-balanced, well-thought-out post, no one will ever see it. What gets promoted, right, is, 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 is grand, giant, big, overarching statements like, everything is dumb. That will get posted a billion times. say all this because on the internet now, if you, if you were to go and kind of search out this verse and you want to take some time and study it on your own, one of the things you'll find is, is people uh, uh, trying to claim first that this verse shows that Jesus isn't God because he says there's only the, the, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Uh, utterly ignoring, come on, the rest of the content and context of that, of that statement where Jesus claims to share glory from the beginning with the Father. Uh, this, to, to go, in my opinion, to go to John 17 to disprove the Trinity is, is, like, is like chewing off your own leg. It just it doesn't work. Okay? Uh, the other thing you'll find, though, this, this isn't quite so sinister, um, that there's some debate. This is, this is true. There's some debate here about whether this statement is a part of what Jesus was praying or was added in by John to help us understand in, in Greek, there are no quotation marks. Uh, there's other instruments and other, other, other things that help us understand when things are put in. But it's common in a text like this, when quoting somebody, if, if, the, if the person transcribing out the quote feels like it wasn't quite clear, uh, that we're missing something, that's, it's very common that they'll add a, this is what he means, kind of commentary. Um, I bring that up because here's the, I spent, I told my wife this, I spent a ridiculous amount of time trying to come to a conclusion, reading a bunch of people that are way smarter than me on this issue, uh, trying to decide where I sort of land. Do I think this is a quote that Jesus made or is it not? I sort of land on the it is, but, but that's probably just because the, I like that idea. Um, didn't really have anything to back that up. But here's after about, no, no exaggeration, about three hours of utterly wasted time, uh, I finally came to a epiphany. You want to hear it? It doesn't matter. It's all the Bible anyways. Who stinking cares? Um, Because contrary to bumper sticker theology, the red letters in your Bible are no more important than the rest of them. So uh, three hours later, um, 
And, uh, and I was like, that, thanks, Lord. That, didn't, that was a waste of time. Um, so, so ultimately, I bring all that up because we're going to spend some time living in this verse, and I want us to grasp. I'm just going to be transparent with you. I'm going to say Jesus said it because I think he said it. And why do I think he said it? Because I think he said all the Bible. So if the critics are right and he didn't specifically quote this, I'm still right, neener, neener, I win. So let's look at this idea of what is eternal life. What is eternal life? Due to to our immersion, or can I really use the word I want, our imprisonment to the construct known as time, right? This thing that we all live inside of, this this dimensionality that we live inside of. We hear the word, this phrase, eternal life, and instantly our minds go to the, the length and duration of our lifespan. Right, our existence. So, so a, a a prolonged or elongated existence. We think when he speaks of eternal life, Jesus is speaking of of elongating our days. Our minds quickly jump to either if you if you've been raised in the church much, either they jump to some sort of afterlife. Right, like when he speaks of eternal life, he means like when we die and when we go to heaven, that's eternal life. And here it's just mildly shades of miserable life. Or we, we misunderstand eternal life for immortal life, and we think maybe what Jesus is saying is if, if you vote Jesus, you never have to die, right? Thinking that he's speaking of immortal life. We tend to think of, of, this, of this eternal life in terms of length and duration, amen? Yet Jesus here is bringing us into an understanding that it's not, that this eternal life is not about the quantity of our days, but the quality of our life. It's not about the quantity of days that we have, it's about the quality of those quantity of days. Are you tracking with me? He, he's, he's, getting, he's getting to this point where he's saying, look, it's, I'm, I'm not saying that, that your, 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 your life is going to be never ending in the sense of you're going to live the same day over and over again, but rather there's going to be a qualitative difference to your life. The life that I give will be qualitatively different. It's not simply a life that we live forever, but rather that that existence is made, that, that Jesus speaks of here, is, is a substantial difference. So, so let me ask it this way. What is the substance of your existence? Jesus says he wants to make it eternal. What's the, sub, what, is the, what, is, what is your life made of? What is it, what's the makeup of those days that you live? I think, I think we, can, we can find some help here in Greek. How many people like to learn Greek? Thank you. How many people don't like to learn Greek? You're welcome. Um, we're going to do it anyways. Um, so, so when Jesus uses the word life, he uses the word zoe. Everybody say zoe. Zoe. Zoe life means real and genuine life. Or another way to say it is a life active and vigorous. When we dig down deeply, though, contextually into how this word is used within the New Testament, what we find is that when Jesus uses the word zoe for, for life, he's talking about the absolute fullness of life which belongs to God. Can I say it this way? It's divine existence. It's divine life. It's the life that God lives. Jesus is saying that's the type of life he wants to give you. And then he uses a descriptive word in front of that that we translate eternal. Everybody say eternal. 
So this, this word eternal uh, gets complicated to really uh, diagnose and dissect in Greek, and I'm going to just skip all of the stuff that I was going to take you along for the ride because I just will get lost in the weeds. I will lose myself in the weeds, and you will wonder where we are. If you trace out this word, essentially the word that Jesus uses here is more of a compound word in Greek, uh, sort of like, not perfect, but sort of like when, when we say the word forever, it's two words put together, compound word forever. If you want to kind of know what forever understand, what means, we need to kind of grasp what we mean by ever. So if we, if we dive into that, we get to this word ae, which is eternal. It means perpetual or incessant. It's not, it's not just here. What, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is that it's, it's not just the idea that life goes on for a long time, but rather it's, it's, it's a word that means it's a perpetual type of life, a perpetual type of living. Are you tracking with me? What Jesus here is trying to get at is that he wants to give us this divine qualitative life. He wants to give us a life that is rich. It's, it's so, let me say it this way, a life that is so rich in its quality that it, it demands a bigger bucket and therefore expands our quantity. That, that the life that he grants us, the life that he brings us into is so rich, is so full, is so meaningful, is so profound and significant in its quality that it demands a greater quantity of days in which to experience it. Going beyond, I would even suggest, the life we live on this plane. And yes, ultimately moving into what we might think of as an afterlife or what we might think of as going to heaven. Jesus here is moving us into this sort of an understanding. We, he, he brings us into eternal life. He, he seems to imply that this is the work or the mission or the purpose for which the Father has sent him. So we got perpetual life. We understand that it's, it's, it's so rich, the quality of it demands a greater quantity. So then my question is, what is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life, Jesus says, is to know God and to know Jesus whom the Father sent. And, and we're going to get into here in a moment, understanding that those are one and the same. And in Trinitarian theology, we understand that Jesus is God. I need an amen from Christians. Amen. What is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing God. What does it mean to know God then? Because, because come on, if, if you talk to the same people I talk to, there's a lot of people out there that claim that they, that they already know God, that, that that's just sort of a default position that they have. Talk to some people and they think knowing God means, well, I, I go to church, therefore I know God. Or as one friend of mine once said, well, my grandma's Catholic, so I'm saved. I don't think you know how this works. What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to have this? Is, 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 is Jesus saying, this is where my mind goes, maybe your mind doesn't, but this is where my mind goes. Okay, eternal life is to know God. Are you saying, Lord, that eternal life is a call to some sort of intellectual scholarly endeavor? We're like the most alive people on the planet are these stuffy tweed jacket wearing guys that just study theology all the time. Is that really what eternal life means? It's just to kind of amass a bunch of data about the divine. Well, thankfully, Greek to the rescue. The word no is gnosko. Everybody say gnosko. If you have trouble remembering it, just remember that song, Wake Me Up 
before you, Gnosko. Um, that was free, by the way. Gnosko is, is an awesome Greek word. There's other words for knowledge. There's other words for understanding. We, 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 we may study eventually, but, but this, this word that Jesus uses, gnosko, is a knowledge grounded, catch this, in personal experience. PG-13, it is literally a, an idiom for sexual intimacy. When, when the Bible says that, that, that Joseph did not know Mary, that they, they did not have sex before Jesus was born. No, same word, gnosko. What Jesus is saying here, what he's calling us to, is he's saying life, true, divine, whole, actual, fulfilling life. Qualitative and quantitative life given to us, brought to us by Jesus comes in knowing and having a personal encounter and experience of who he is. So it's not about being engaged intellectually. Come on, church. It's about being engaged in intimacy. When Jesus says that this is life to know you, he's saying this is, this is life to experience you. We are not called to an education of principles about God, but to experience the person of God. Does anybody remember the fad of collecting baseball cards? We swapped out baseball cards for pogs and then pogs for pokey something cards. I don't know. Then I, lost, I got, got older and discovered drugs. Um, baseball cards, I remember, had all kinds of stats and statistics on the back of the card about the, the, the player that was on the front of the card. And if you were a super nerd like my brother's, you memorized all of those things, and you would get in arguments about who was a better player based upon the stats on the back of the card. But you did not know the person on the front of the card. Despite the fact that, that big fans of sports teams will claim that they love certain athletes. That's weird. We don't know them at all. We, we might know, come on, about them, but we don't know them. Can I suggest, can I propose that many Christians have fallen into the trap of treating this like the back of a baseball card? Where we amass great informational reserves, facts and figures about God where we can debate and argue with other people who have other things memorized. And like I've said for many, many years, we gather up all of our favorite things about God and we turn them into snowballs and they gather up all their favorite things about God and turn them into snowballs and we throw them at each other on the internet. I have my tribe, you have your tribe, your tribe's just like my tribe except your tribe is wrong. And, and Jesus here is not calling us to that sort of knowledge about God. He's calling us to gnosko, to an intimate, grounded, personal, real experience, one that is deep and intimate, one that is known, in a sense, almost exclusively to us. One that you, you listen, you can, you can I mean, let, me, let, me, let me try to find words. One that you can testify of to others, but you can't really share with others. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Whereas where you try to describe it, 
it's almost like in the describing it, come on, come on, has anybody else had this? In the describing it, you're almost putting it to shame because of your lack of ability to be able to share the richness of it. Where you like run out of English words, which happens faster for me because I got a GED. <laughs> I, love, I have one, I can make fun of it, just like homeschoolers. Um, What, 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 we, what we've got to understand here is this. That's the type of, of experience, personal and intimate and, and divine, that we are called to have. To know Jesus is to know eternal life, is to have eternal life. Hence why I want to call this message, Welcome to Eternal Life. People are like, oh, I just can't wait till I get to heaven. You're there already. You, you, you are called to have that kind of intimate, personal exchange with God now. To know Jesus, come on, is to have, is eternal life. To know Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is God. Come down to reveal God to us. Jesus is not, okay, I want to correct this one real fast and then we're going to get some of those. Jesus is not the good parts of God. Come on, come on, come on. That, that's, what, that's what I believed for a long time. I mean, not, I would never say that's what I believed. Come on, but it's what I believed. Like, 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 like when I pray, I hope I get Jesus. When I, when I call up heaven, I hope Jesus answers the phone because, because Father God, he's, 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 he's the Old Testament God. He's the angry God. And I want happy God. I want, I, want, I want happy Jesus. Jesus is a sweetie pie. Jesus is awesome. Jesus plays with kids. Jesus heals people. Jesus says nice things. I ignore all the parts of the Bible where he's flipping tables over, making whips, chasing people out of his church. I totally ignore the part about Jesus where he's got a tattoo on his leg and a sword coming out of his mouth because that's scary Jesus. No, no, no. I want happy Jesus. I want nice fluffy Jesus. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus is not the good parts of God. He is God. Everything that is true of God is true of Jesus. Everything that is true of Jesus is true of God. If you want to know what's God like, just look at Jesus. There's nothing lacking or missing there. Let's, let's, let's see this in Scripture. We're going we're gonna to jump to a bunch of these. You can just jot them down. We don't have time to flip to them. Jesus in John 10, 30. I and the Father are... One. Jesus says in John 14, verse 9, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Are you seeing that Jesus is God? Colossians 1:15. He is, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Firstborn of all creation. He's the image. You want to know what God's like? Look at the picture that he said. Look at the person that he said. Look at Jesus. To know Jesus is to know God. To know Jesus and know God is eternal life. He is the image of the eternal God. How is he the image of the eternal, uh, the eternal God? Because according to Colossians 2.9, for in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole thing. There's no left out parts. It's not like God left his angry bits up in heaven. Come on. 
Well, he left, he left the frustrated part of him up there and he just came down here to be nice. Anybody else, anybody else had this struggle? I hope I don't get on God's bad side. I have really good news for you. He does not have a bad side. There is no, his bed, both sides of his bed, are the good side of the bed. They're the right side of the bed. He has two right, his bed is right-sided. And he never sleeps nor slumbers, so you don't have to worry about him getting up on the wrong side of the bed. Bible nerd jokes. Um, in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness. I love that. In case we missed it, it could have just said the whole of deity or the fullness of deity. And he was so he wanted us to get this so much. He's like, the whole fullness of deity. All of it, everything that God is, is found in Jesus. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the mighty on high. He is the radiance of the glory of God. I love it. The exact imprint of his nature. Reject religion's claim that Jesus is the nice part of God and you better deal with Jesus or else you're going to have to deal with the angry part of God. <laughs> Come on. It's not true. Jesus and the Father are Again, we got to be careful with Trinitarian language. They're the same. They're not the same, but they're the same because they're the same, but they're not the same, right? We're tracking together. You got that? Cool. Let's move on. We need to understand that, that in his coming, in his arrival, Jesus imparts and brings to us eternal life. I think John gives us an amazing picture of what it means to know Jesus and therefore have eternal life. In his, in his other book, 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through, uh, what did I decide? 1 through 3. Speaking, John here speaking of Jesus. says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life, what, what, what do you think that Greek word is there? Zoe. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship, koinonia, the same experience we're having with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I love the way John words this. I love the, the, can I say it? The visceral words that he uses to describe his relationship, his knowing Jesus. He says, we heard it. We've seen it. We've looked upon it. We've touched it. It was manifest. So we've seen and testified and proclaimed. And he invites us into an experience he is still having. Did you catch that? This is not like a, a past tense, like, hey, this is something that happened and we want you to know about it. No, no, verse three makes it clear that this is something that's in perpetuity in his life. 
I'm still experiencing him. I'm still knowing him. I'm still seeing him. I'm still looking about him. I'm still holding and handling and hearing him. I'm still having this same experience. And he shares the reality of it with us so that we, through, under, through, through, through hearing it, through, through understanding it, can actually step into that same experience. So we can join him in this fellowship that he has. John's picture is good. But I think Jesus actually gives us an even better picture. That shouldn't shock anybody. Because... Um, because Jesus is better. I, I want to re, read you verse 5 out of the Passion, out of Dr. Simmons' a paraphrase of, of this. I love the way he says this. So my Father, restore me back to the glory that we shared together when we were face to face before the universe was created. Face to face. What is it to know God? It's to be face to face with him. This is so amazing because this is a throwback to John 1, where it says, in the beginning, the living expression, this is again out of the passion, in the beginning, the living expression was already there, and the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. It's this word, this, this word here in First John, is, is, or in, in John 1, is, is the word pros. Everybody say pros. Pros literally means face to face. It's with, but it's not with just like beside. It's with in the sense of with being turned toward. It's, it's being face-to-face. Fun, fun fact, fun little extra snippet. In Hebrew, there is no word for the word presence. We talk about the presence of God, to be in the presence of someone. There's no, Greek, there's no Hebrew word for that. It's, 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 it's literally this, this, this same type of word. It's, it's, to be what, it's to be in someone's face. It's to be face-to-face with someone. So when we say we want to we experience the presence of God, biblically speaking, what we're saying is we want to behold his face. We want to gaze upon his, we want to be pros, we want to be face to face with him. So let's tie all this together. What Jesus is doing is inviting, I don't like that word, calling, no. He says, I'll just use his word, bringing us. He brings us. It's not just an invitation. Come on. It's not just a calling like, hey, you should do this. It's not even a command. No, Jesus says, I have brought them eternal life, which means I have brought them. I, Jesus, accomplished everything required and necessary to bring them back to face to face with Abba, face to face with the Father. You are brought to him. Not, not at a distance. Come on, come on, come on. This isn't like you, Jesus bought you a back row in the balcony ticket to the show of God. This isn't like, well, there's, there's layers and Jesus gets you in the door, but then through your good works, you need to get your way up the line. Come on, am I the only one that ever thought that? The better I do and the harder I try and the more I give and the more I serve, especially in kids' ministry, the closer I'll get to the front of the line. No, Jesus says he brought us face to face. He brings us into an intimate, personal, deep, abiding connection to Father. 
so close, come on, face to face, that, that we can gaze into his eyes. So close that we can hear the subtlety of his whisper. So close that we experience his very breath. His very life. His eyes are the goal. His eyes are to be your destination. Can I tell you, his eyes burn away all of the stuff that religion tells you you need to get better at not doing. You can try harder, work more, try to modify your behavior, but all you'll ever do is obsess over the thing you're not going to do. You know, I've, I've shared, I've shared my, my journey in, in addiction and my journey in the recovery community. And again, I always want to make sure I caveat this. If recovery community is working for you, please keep, keep working the steps. We all like you better as a not addict than an addict. Can I get an amen? The problem, my problem with the recovery community is not where it begins. My problem with the recovery community is where it ends. It still, leaves, it still left me an addict, constantly having to confess that I'm an addict. But there's another issue. I've shared that before, that the reason why I left... Was, was I, I came to a place where I could no longer stand up in front of other addicts and say, hi, my name's Mark and I'm an addict. Because I wasn't. I wasn't addicted to that anymore. It was gone. There was nothing in me that desired to do that. I've had some really, 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 way worse, I've had worse days since being sober, come on, than I was as an addict. And never even in my worst days sober have I ever even wanted to go back to where I was. The way I describe this is there, there's nowhere for the hook to land in me anymore. That's, that's, that's the freedom that we're promised in Christ. That's, that's the main aspect. But there was one other aspect that I got sick of, and that was counting the days since I last messed up. And that's one that maybe you've never been a part of. Come on, come on, let, give me some rope. If I hang myself, it's my fault, but if not, you can come along with me. That's one, if you've never been a part of a recovery community, maybe you don't understand the having to get up and, and confess things about yourself that you don't believe about yourself. But, but let, me, let me throw this out. Maybe you can relate to this idea of constantly keeping track about of when the last time you fell was. Can I tell you, liberty means never even remembering that you fell. That's not who I am. That's not that. That's the that's the old. That's that's the old guy. That's the dead guy. We're called to step into face to face. And yes, the moment I realize that I'm not living in an ever-abiding awareness of his face, all I have to do is step back into that. My destination, my goal, my obsession is his face. I'm pushing toward his face. I want to touch on one thing here that's it's a little bit outside of it. It's a, it's a byproduct. Can I, can, I, can I talk about a byproduct? Not a product, but a byproduct. A byproduct of knowing God. A byproduct of, of staring into his eyes is we discover that we also are known. That not only do I know him, but he knows me. I am known, gnosko, by him. As we, as we gaze into his eyes, he gazes right back into ours. You know, you ever, you ever, any parents in the room or people who work with kids have to confront a, a kid that did something wrong? And they, they'll look everywhere but at your face. Where's the cookie, Jimmy? I don't know where the cookie is. It's like, is it on the ceiling? I, maybe. Maybe it's up there. 
Did you take the cookie? I do. I do. How about them Dodgers? Right? Can I tell you when you gaze into the eyes of God, he gazes right back. His eyes don't shift. His eyes don't look away. He's not trying to hide anything. He's not trying to get away with anything. He's not trying to be shifty or shady. To gaze upon him is to know him. To know him is to realize that there is, oh, come on, that there is no hiding from him. While it's important for us to acknowledge that that's a byproduct, right? right? That's, that's not the goal to be known. That's a byproduct of knowing him as we discover that we are known. It's a vitally important byproduct. It's, let me say this. It's a necessary byproduct. Because the reality is this. We, the human experience is, is one of tremendous tension. Have you, have you figured that out yet? We fear the vulnerability. We fear the the. the, the uh, let's, we, we've gone PG-13, let's just stay there. We fear the, the nakedness, the exposure of being known because of the potential, right, of, of hurt, of wounding. You know, none, none of y'all want to talk about that, right? None of, none of us want to talk about what it's like to be, to be honest and open and real and share who we are with somebody and have them use that, come on, against you. To have them turn your words and, and, and push it back on you. And here's the problem. And you're, you are defenseless in that moment because, come on, they're right. This is, this is why marriage is so freaking scary. Because if marriage is going to work, we have to be honest and vulnerable and open. But the problem is that person that you're going to be honest and vulnerable and open with, you are going to infuriate more than any other person on the planet. Because they're just stuck with you all the time. Pray for my wife. And so it's such a temptation to, to just use what we know, come on, will hurt. So we're scared of it. We, we, we fear it. And yet it is, it is fundamentally, and, and everyone would agree with this as far as if you, if you want to go to, to philosophy or psychology or, or, or any, any of these, these, these fields, everyone would agree that, that being known is one of the deepest needs in the human experience. So the tension is, I, I, I so desire that. I so want that. I'm so bent toward it. And yet I'm so afraid of it. Because every time I've done it in the past, these mean people hurt me. And so either we learn how to, how to project what, what we think people will like. Come on. Because we've been rejected by people, because we've been wounded by people, because we've been hurt by people, we come up with an image. We, we sort of learn very quickly how to craft a mask that looks kind of like our face, but isn't actually our face. That covers the parts of us that we think caused us to be rejected. And so we walk around being accepted by others all the while knowing, all the while knowing they're not really accepting me. All the while knowing, all the while wondering, all the while thinking, if they really knew, would they really still want to be around me? If people really knew, would they still invite me over for dinner? 
If people knew the, the things that I struggle with, the thoughts that I have, the desires that are there, the actions that I've taken in private moments when no one else is around, if they really knew that, would they reject me? So we either put on a mask or, or some of us are clever enough to just figure out if we just are angry and mad and mean to everybody around us, then they won't want to be around me and then I pre-reject them so I never get rejected. Does anybody have any of these people in their life? They're wonderful when they're coworkers, aren't they? Just like mean people, right? This is the classic statement you've heard a thousand times, hurt people hurt people, right? I don't know why there needed to be finger quotes around that. Um, is this true? And the beautiful thing is this. Here's, here's, here's the, the beautiful thing is that you are known by a God who knows you better than you even know yourself. So my call to you pastorally, I know this is a byproduct and this isn't a direct in the text, this is an added kind of byproduct, but I think it's an important one. My, 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 my call to you is this. When you hide from God, listen to me now, hear me later. When you hide from God, the only person you're hiding from is you. You're not hiding from him. He already knows. What, again, our first parents, Adam and Eve, sin. They go and they hide. They, they make up fig leaves. They, make up, they try to stitch together, right, something to cover their nakedness. They realize they're naked. They try to cover up their nakedness. Then they go and they try to hide. And God says, where are you? How many of us want to, want to acknowledge God did not lose them? When a great teacher asks a question, it's for you to learn something, not for him to learn something. What he was asking Adam was, do you realize where you are? You're only hiding from yourself. Come on, you're only hiding from other people. You're only hide, you, you can hide from humans, but you can't hide from him. His eyes see you. As you gaze into the eyes of Abba, you will realize that he knows you, and come on, he's always known you. He's not, you're getting to know him, but he's not getting to know you. He's always known you. You, you lay exposed and bare before him. So stop trying to hide and pretend like they're like you stitching together some fashionable fig leaves. They might impress others, but they don't impress him. He sees through them anyways. You see, we, we I, got in, I got in trouble for saying this uh, a, a year and a half ago. Um, I don't think I'll get in trouble as much now. Uh, look how far we've come. I said this, I said this at the end of a service and got like, I got like, I got emails. My wife warned me right after the church, you know you're gonna get emails about them. I'm like, no, I won't. People will understand. I always forget that you as a person, listen, listen, you as a person have the potential to be very smart, but a group of people are just dumb. I, I said at the end of a service, talking about similar topics to this, that, that God loves your face, but he hates your mask. And people thought a year and a half ago, I was being political. It's like, you need to soak your brain. It's overheating. Get off the internet. Go outside. I'm not talking about masks, right? I'm talking about masks. God hates your mask. God hates the fake you that you've put together, come on, to try to put a mask on, to try to put a, a prettier face ahead. 
to try to, to try to project this better image of you, this, come on, come on, this polished Instagram life that, that your followers may buy, but, but he's not buying. He hates that, but he loves you. He loves your real face. He loves what you actually look like. Prove it, preacher man. Okay, he made you. He formed and fashioned you. And he is not limited, come on, by his skill set. He is not limited. He, he, didn't, he didn't go, well, that's as good as I can do. You know, maybe, maybe in a few billion more people I'll get better at this. He doesn't improve. He is perfection. And he made you. He's the potter. You're the clay. You might not like you. Other people might not like you. This is such an uplifting message. <laughs> but God likes you. Again, we talked about this before. God actually, yes, he loves you. I think, I, think, I think if you hang around religious folk enough, you sort of hear that enough that you kind of like come to stop arguing with it. Maybe you don't believe it, but you stop arguing with it. But then I get up and I say, no, no, God loves you, but he also likes you. He likes you. Like he actually wants to hang out with you. He doesn't love you like he's stuck with you. My mother had, had a statement that she used to make when I was a kid. I tried to make it to my children and my wife has banned it from our home. My dad traveled a lot. He was a pilot, um, and so he was gone for weeks at a time, and he'd be home for a few days and gone for weeks at a time and then home for a few days. And, and my mom liked to spoil my dad when he would come home. And so, so you know, we, we, my mom, we had a big house. We had, you know, five boys, two girls running around the house all the time. And, and, and so, you know, breakfast was sort of like a, you eat what you kill kind of on a, you know, in the morning. Like, you can find it and you can eat it. There you go, you know? But dad, my mom would always make dad like bacon and eggs and she'd make him all this great food. And so finally one day in my little wounded soul, I came to my mom and I said, mom, why do you make dad all this wonderful food for breakfast and we have to eat Pop-Tarts? And she looked at me as only a, a, a wonderful mom who loved me dearly could do. She looked me right in my beautiful little brown eyes and she said, sweetie, cause I picked him, I got stuck with you. Don't worry, though, because a few, about, well, it's actually not all that longer later because I got married at a ridiculously young age. Uh, I bought my wife a gift. I don't remember what the gift was, but I bought my wife a, a nice gift for, for Christmas. And my mom goes, how come you never bought anything like that for me? It was glorious. It was wonderful. She, like, laughed in a little tear, and I was like, yeah! Uh, my wife did not find that as funny when I used it on my children, though, <laughs> because she made those, and uh, it was been banned from our house, um, so I only use it when she's not around. Um, um, <laughs> we're just going to hang out for the rest of the service, it's just us. We're just going to, yeah, it's great. Oh. Let's get back to the Bible. Um, how does God do this? We'll go real quick on this. We'll land this real quick. Um, how does God do this? How does Jesus do this? How does he bring this life to us? Is this just like a, a fuzzy, mystical kind of like, he just fills the room with smoke and we just like become alive? I love, again, I, I love First John. It can almost act as a commentary oftentimes to the gospel of John, even though it was written beforehand. Um, 1 John 5.20 says, and we know 
that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Everybody say understanding. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God. This is why I can say, in the, I said to, to, eternal life is to know God. Well, but Jesus said to know God and to know Jesus Christ. Yep, and right there, neener, neener, I win. He is, he who, Jesus Christ, is the true God. And what else is he? So how does he do this? He does this by coming, right? And by giving us understanding. This is how, come on, this is how this life causes perpetual growth in us. This isn't, this isn't just a mystical thing. This is, this is by ever increasing, come on, our understanding of who he is. Again, I said this earlier. You are getting to know him. He's not getting to know you. He already knows you. But he, come on, is eternal, infinite, and inexhaustible. And so we will spend all of our days, regardless of what plane of existence that might happen on, we will spend all of our days consistently, constantly in pursuit of knowing him deeper and fuller and more. I've said this, I've taught this to us before, but let me just, by way of review, it is impossible to know God completely, but it is necessary to know him correctly. And so I think often what this understanding is, this is the way that I see it in my own life. Maybe this helps you, maybe it doesn't. My, my thinking, my understanding, my belief structure, what I, what I really believe, come on, not just in my brain, but down in my bones, right, right, right? It's like a woven cord. And, and Abba in his goodness, this cord of my, of my knowledge of him that, that lies in front of me, in his goodness, he goes, you know what? There are strands in there that aren't true. They've been woven in from disappointment, from, from, from well-intentioned teachers who just didn't know any better, who taught me what they thought they knew, and, and I just sort of wove them into this tapestry, this cord of, of what I believe, and he'll go, you know what, for what I want to do, for what we need to pull in this next season of your life, this thing's going to snap if we don't, come on, unbraid this thing a little bit. And that can, come on, that can be painful to have to allow him, come on, to fillet open what we thought we always knew about him and to go, this right here is, is not, this isn't good. This isn't right. This is snuck in. This has been woven in. So, come on, sometimes by good intention people, sometimes by people with bad intentions, most often people that just were too weak to do any better. But Abba in his goodness takes the time, come on, to unbraid, to unfold, we're in a hurry. We want to get to the thing. We want to go do this. We want to do that. And I got, I got a destiny to fulfill. He's going, son, sit down. <laughs> Stop it. Let's unbraid this thing. Let's, 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 let's sift this stuff out. It's not possible to know him completely. We'll spend, when time runs out, we'll still be exploring who he is. But it's vital that we know him correctly, church. It's vital that we let him dissect and pull out these things. And that is the process, come on, of where this zoe becomes eternal, perpetual. I, li I like that word, incessant. <laughs> right? Like I can't get out of it even if I wanted to. Anybody 
spend time with an aunt this holiday season who is an incessant talker? You're like, if you don't have a family member, just this is free pastoral. Ready? Ready? If you don't have that annoying family member who's the incessant talker, it's probably you. You're like, no, no one talks to me a lot. I just, I go talk to everybody, but nobody talks to me a lot. It's like, we love you. Come on, we, we come to know him through this incessant, come on, understanding that comes our way. I love this, man. I love this. As we peer into his eyes, as we gaze into his eyes, he gazes back. In his, as we gaze into his, we find out, come on, that we know him and we learn about him. And we, 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 we go through this breaking down of what we thought we knew and building up of what we know. We discover that we are known and we find the satisfaction, the soul satisfying awareness of that. And we get caught up, come on, into this swirl of knowing him and being known by him. This, this spinning dance we get to have with divinity of knowing and being known of constantly being pursued by him in this knowing. So do you know him? Come on, do you know him? Not, 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 not have you memorized, come on, not have you memorized his baseball card. I'm gonna get so many emails calling the Bible God's baseball card, it's gonna be so much fun. Internet people that watch this are just gonna be like, ah! it's gonna be great. Have we just memorized? Come on. Facts and figures, statistics. It is possible for someone to memorize more facts, statics, static stuff about my wife than me. They, they might know more data about her, but no one will know her the way I know her. Do you know him? Come on. Do you know him? Do you have a deep, abiding, personal awareness of him? John 5, 11, and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. This is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God, I love you, does not have life. I love you too much to just say, hey, you know, if you came to church here today, this is wonderful, this is awesome, and all of it is just yours in a buffet. No, no, no. It all comes down to this question. Do you know him? Do you have a deep, abiding, personal, come on, experiential knowledge of who he is? If you don't, here's the amazing thing. You can right now. There's no, listen, come on, there's no mountain you have to climb, there's no class you have to take, there's no course you have to complete, there's no, there, no, no reading required. You can know him. He wants to make himself known to you. The Bible actually says he wants to grant to you the ability to know him. How does he do that? The Bible says he does that through repentance and faith, through calling us to admit once and for all that we don't know him. Maybe we've pretended like we do. Maybe we've tried to wear the mask of somebody who knows God, but we really, honestly, down below, we realize like, we don't know him at all. So we admit that, and we abandon either the, 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 this, this incessant knee-jerk rejection of him because we're afraid we're gonna be rejected by him, so we reject him. Here's the good news. God is so good that not only are you incapable of rejecting him, but when you try, he rejects your rejection. 
You tried to pre-reject him, but he rejected your rejection before you rejected him. He pre-rejected your pre-rejection. Because before the foundations of the world, Christ died for you. Before you even thought of trying to reject him, he was like, I'll pay for that debt. We admit and we abandon, and then we embrace and entrust. We believe. We say, God, you are, Jesus, you are God. Not all these other things that I've said were God. You are the supreme. You are the most important. You are the most glorious, beautiful, and, and magnificent thing ever. You're the one. We embrace that. We entrust everything to him. Because he is God. And he is. He doesn't have. He doesn't possess. He can't show you. He is eternal life. In having him, you have eternal life. Welcome to eternal life. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to move into our response. We're going to take some time to respond. We believe that when we hear God speak, when we encounter his goodness, it's right and good for us to respond. It's right and good for six of you to respond. I don't know when you guys say amen, and when I say six of you, if you're agreeing, like, yeah, just those six, that's good. <laughs> or if you're jumping on board. Um, here's, we believe it's right and good for us to respond. We respond in three ways. Um, if you've heard this before, I don't mean to belabor it. We do this for those who are new, and so that way we're not confused about what's going on. Also, as a way of reminder, so this doesn't just become a stale religious thing. We don't do it to be stale and religious. We do it because, come on, in this, in this response, we have found we meet him in a unique and significant way. So we respond three modes, celebration, contemplation, and communion. Celebration, we rejoice in his goodness in making himself known to us. We rejoice in his goodness in him making himself known to us. One person got the response right. We rejoice in that. We celebrate it. We celebrate him for his goodness. We contemplate. We take time to allow him to take what has been spoken, come on, and push it down from our brains into our bones. To displace things. Again, I love the scriptures. To tear down and to build up. Come on, am I the only one who has some stuff still in his heart that needs to be torn down? Some stuff in his heart that needs to be built up? In his goodness, he'll do it. This isn't the, the, the closing song to go home to. This is the take time to actually let him begin this work in us, to continue this work in us. And communion, we celebrate through communion. Communing two ways. Communing one with another. If there's a need in your life, something you're going through, We've got a team of people that'll meet you over at the cross. They would love to stand with you and pray with you. That's available for anyone. We would love the opportunity to pray with you. We've seen God do miracles. Amen, church? Because we're just so much better of people than everybody else. No, come on, because we serve a good God. They don't have magic words, they don't have magic powers. They have a God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he says this when we pray, when we come to him with our needs, he hears us and he responds. We also celebrate communion in the Lord's table, the gift given to us by Jesus to remember and to celebrate his broken body and his shed blood. We take by a method known as antiquation where we pick a piece of bread or we do have gluten-free wafers on the end, dip it in the juice and partake. We have cured communion, I believe, a, a little bit in the back until it runs out and then I'm probably not buying anymore. 
they say it's bread and they say it's juice. I think it's industrial packing material, but um, if that's, if, honestly, if, if it's uncomfortable for you to take it this way in this season, we can get that. So we, we do have that carried communion back there and I won't buy anymore, but better pastors around here will. Um, we take by method known as antiquation, we dip and partake. I want to be clear, the, these tables and, and the community in the back are open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. You don't have to agree with my theology, agree with our church. You don't have to, there's no secret handshake. Nobody will be up here gatekeeping this. This is open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. If you're a guest here with us, joining us today, we'd love for you to take communion with us if you so feel led. But if you're not a believer, if you're still exploring what it means to follow Jesus and to, to, to know him and to have this eternal life thing we're talking about, we're so glad that you're here. And we're not going to ask you to come up and pretend like you're a Christian and take communion. You could just hang out in your seat. No one will notice. You could just hang out there. Because this is something unique, honestly, amongst our church. Almost, almost any other door is open to you here, but this is one thing that Jesus says, no, this is reserved. This is kept just for those who have repented and believed. You know, as, as we were getting ready for service this morning, as I was praying for you, I, I really just felt like there are some people here let me say it this way, who are, you're in need of a renewal in this eternal life thing. Maybe there have been seasons of your life where, yeah, that, it seemed perpetual. It seemed, it seemed ever increasing. It seemed like there was this constant growing and, and there was an intimacy that you knew uh, with, with the Father, but, but due to circumstances, maybe outside your control, let's be real, maybe within your control, that, that just sort of has slipped in your life. And as I talked this morning about a, an, an experiential reality of God, you had memories of having it in the past, but as you took honest inventory of your life, it's not currently an abiding reality in your current existence. I believe the Spirit of God is here to bring renewal to that area. He wants to give you fresh understanding of who He is. And here's the reality, beloved. That might mean letting go of some erroneous ideas you had about God. That might mean having to admit that even as a son of God, you still have some wrong ideas about who he is. Can I tell you that's, that's honestly the most common reason I've seen in 20-something years of pastoring. It's the most common reason I've seen people just hit a, hit a ceiling, hit a wall, hit a limit in that life-giving flow, that there's something about their experience that they demand God be something he's not. And rather than letting his goodness change them, their hearts become hard because they keep pounding up against him, demanding he change. The Spirit of God is here this morning to soften that place that's been hard. Come on, he is the potter, you are the clay. He will make you again another vessel. Let's get caught in the swirl. Let's just, let's just go down this analogy, right? Puts us on the wheel, this swirl of knowing him and being known by him. And in that, his hands come upon us and he shapes us and he molds us. I think there's a, I think there's a, I think there's a, a spirit to renew here this morning, to bring to life afresh and anew. So spirit of the living God, we thank you. I thank you for those that you are bringing to life this morning that you're granting repentance and faith, those in this, beneath the sound of my voice that, that are coming to a, a new, a first-time understanding that you are God and you are good, that you are better than everything, 
that you are more than enough. God, I thank you for them. And, and I'll confess, Lord, I thank you equally for those that you are bringing back to life. Your sons, your bride, that you are renewing afresh right now in this moment. Spirit of God, I pray that you would, you would soften hard hearts. That you would remove scales. That you would remove hardness. That you would remove that, 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 that thing, that impliability, that, that unwillingness to bend to who you are. God, you're so good. You will add as much water as is necessary to the clay of our lives to soften us. So I pray that water to just wash over your people today. I also pray, Lord, that we would not be afraid of the spin. That as the swirl begins, as the, as the movement comes, we would know your goodness We would know your faithfulness. We would know your kindness. And we would enjoy the dance. Even in the unbraiding, even in the having to admit that we've held on to false ideas about who you are. That we would enjoy even that. For you would not reveal those things to us if it was not born out of your goodness. Because you are always and you are only good. Church, let's respond to the Lord.